Check out episode 66, where we speak to Dan Demers. He has been shaping the legislative, regulatory, and policy decisions of governments. And we're talking all about the legalization of cannabis in Canada, because that date is fast approaching, and there's still a lot of unknowns when it comes to regulations and supply chain. So make sure you check out episode 66. This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about the best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put the sexy into your supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Nick. Hello and welcome back to Two Babes Talk Supply Chain. We hope you are all having an amazing week because today we are diving into part two of our Women in Supply Chain series with two incredible women in supply chain. Pamela, Senior Sustainability Consultant, and Haley, Editor-in-Chief of EBN. They are here to help us better understand our role in the corporate citizenship of supply chain. But first, we could not bring this podcast to you without the support of our community, and that includes our sponsors. Border Buddy approached me to sponsor the podcast, and I thought it was a no-brainer because I love what they're doing and how they are disrupting the industry. Border Buddy is taking a modern, fresh approach to clearing goods, and I have been in the industry for over 20 years, and I have never seen anything like this before. Guys, our industry is changing right before our eyes, and Border Buddy is who you will want on your side, as they are forward-thinking and do amazing things, like integrate with your online platforms, including Shopify, and they can clear and help you import your personal shipments as well. Whether you are in the USA or Canada, Border Buddy is your only choice for a partner when you import to North America. So visit them at borderbuddy.com for more info. So now more about our guests. For 18 years, Pamela has been coaching corporate executives in bolstering competitive advantage and profitability by increasing the environmental sustainability of products, services, and processes. She founded the Supply Chain Consultancy Technology Forecasters, wrote the book Lean and Green, trained a thousand engineers and managers in design for environment principles, was expert residents at Presidio graduate school's MBA in sustainability program and was named one of the top 10 women in sustainability. As senior consultant at Antia Group, Pamela brings the best of technology forecasters, thought leadership, research methodologies, and consultants to the EHS and sustainability consultancy she believes is the world's best. And now with Haley, Haley Lynn McKeefrey is editor-in-chief of EBN, the premier global electronic supply chain site. She has spent more than 20 years writing about technology and business, and she began her career as an editor at such periodicals as Macintosh News, EBN, and Windows Magazine. After more than 16 years as a freelance journalist, she has written about a broad variety of technology topics with a focus on supply chain, components, security, storage, healthcare, 
and SMBs. Living in the heart of the Silicon Valley, Haley has written for many top business-to-business publications and websites, including EDN, EE Times, Information Week, CRN, E-Week, Channel Insider, Channel Pro, Redmond Channel Partner, Home Office Computing, and Tech Target. We have some amazing women on this show today. I am so excited. Hello and welcome, Pamela and Haley. Thank you so much, Sarah. Great. Hi. 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 So let's get started. Can you give us um, a quick overview of how you both got started in the industry and a little bit about where you are now? Haley, do you want to start? Sure. Um, Ironically, I was hired as a, a minority intern because in that time, women in technology were considered minorities. And so the publication, the uh, company that hired me was looking to get more women into the trenches of high tech and supply chain. And um, now I run EBN. We write about all things supply chain with a lens of the electronic uh, and high tech industries. Awesome. Awesome. This is Pam. I started back at a market research company for the electronics industry, a division of McGraw Hill. And I found myself deeply and fascinatingly in the world of electronic connectors and printed circuit board assembler assembly on all aspects of manufacturing of electronics. And then from there, I started my own consultancy technology forecasters. And then two years ago, my firm was merged with Antea Group. So now the services are together and I'm enjoying working with clients in the electronics industry to help them with more profitable and responsible supply chains. Awesome. So not only are you guys fabulous women in supply chain, you're fabulous women in technology and electronics. I love it because there's not a lot of women in in, uh, either of those industries. So what do you enjoy about being a woman in supply chain? I think that um, women naturally bring a unique perspective to some things. And what I like best about what I do is having an opportunity to talk to women who are doing all sorts of things at all levels of organizations to create better, more sustainable supply chains and to do really creative things. And for me, I've noticed that when you look at sustainability supply chains specifically, there does seem to be a higher proportion of women in that growing field. I feel like I have a lot of sisters in the mission of making our, especially electronic supply chains, more profitable and sustainable globally. So um, just to get off sort of, well, not really off topic, but how, how do you, why do you think that there are more women on the sustainability side? I don't know. I am delighted about it, however, and I think it only encourages more and more women to look at the sustainability side of supply chain. Can you just describe really briefly what that sustainability is in supply chain? What does it mean? Absolutely. When we think about the products we select and purchase or lease, we we may think that 
it's the name brand on the company and that on the product and that's it. But in reality, the suppliers and products and supplies that go into that product might, if typical, have a 20 times larger environmental footprint than the company whose name is on the brand. So what that means is we need to shepherd our suppliers into a world where they can be more responsible in terms of supply chain, energy use, what types of materials they use, how they deliver it, whether they collect it, and so forth. And all of that together is what sustainable supply chain is. Awesome. That that's a a, a great definition, and uh, you gave us a little bit of an insight into what that actually means. So now I know that we're going to talk about corporate citizenship on this episode. What is a corporate citizen? I'm guessing that it has you know it has a little bit to do with supply uh, with sustainability, but what actually is a corporate citizen? The corporate citizen piece of this is having to do with the organizations, manufacturers, uh, anybody making products, realizing the huge impact that they and their partners have on the world. And so to be a good corporate citizen, because obviously that would be the goal as opposed to just being a corporate citizen, you want to have that positive valence of doing something with the power that you have. Um, Corporate citizenship is about using the lens of sustainability and, and, and environmental impact in making decisions from the very beginning when products are designed to what um, suppliers they might use, how those products are then moved from one place to another, how they're manufactured, all those decisions. I would add as well that you see, when I decided to enter the field of sustainability, I realized I had the choice of focusing on individual citizens, right? Like the three of us and all of the listeners, or to focus on corporations or other organizations. I decided on the latter. Why? Because we can each influence our circles of friends and colleagues, family members, and that's good environmentally, you know, to to reduce the amount of waste and make better choices for the environment. But when we convince an entire corporation of the profitable advantages of sustainability programs, we have a much better impact in terms of affecting all of the corporations, whether it's tens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of employees around the world, um, in terms of the company's behavior as a citizen. Also, if you think about all those employees, not only are they making hopefully better sustainability choices at work, but at the end of the day, they go home and they have their families and communities so I think corporate citizenship is a fabulous opportunity for making large swing moves in the world toward better economies and a better, healthier environment. 
Awesome. Awesome. I love that. And it's becoming so much more important as we move forward with everything. We get more technology based and, and, uh, I think it's just super, super important. And I love to hear it when companies are, are doing that. Can you, can you give us an example of maybe a company that is showing good corporate citizenship? Pamela, you want me to take that one? Yes, please. So, um, one of the, um, one of the uh, big organizations that many, many people recognize is Apple Computing. And uh, Apple has, uh, has, in their most recent sustainability report, set forward a bunch of goals. One is to power their global business solely with sun, wind, and water. Um, they eventually would like to have 100% of their supply chain move to 100% renewable energy. They even have, have, they ask the audacious question of whether we could stop mining the earth altogether and figure out how to do electronics without minerals. And so um, I think that asking those kinds of questions is really important, especially a company that has such brand recognition. Um, As of 2016, Apple reported that 96% of the electricity used in their global facilities came from renewable energy. And that accounted, you know, to Pamela's point that it can make a huge difference. They calculate that that's 585,000 metric tons of carbon emission. And uh, they are 100% using renewable energy in 24 of the countries that they are uh, manufacturing and doing business in. So when a big company like Apple does that, it, it's good for the environment. It also hits the news and editors like me write about it. And it brings awareness down to the consumer level about the products that they choose to buy really do have an impact that can be global. Yeah, I love that. And it's, it's so true, right? Not everybody realizes that every, everything in their home, everything that they're sort of touching, even the clothes that they wear have to do with supply chain. And, um, and it, and it's just, and it's just great to hear of a company that is, is doing so many amazing things. And then hopefully that translates on the consumer side to let them know, Hey, some of the products, wh- where are your products coming from? Maybe you want to ask those types of questions. And that's where you go, Pamela, from, you know, the corporate citizenship to the individual citizenship as well. And we all work together and bring it, bring it all into one sort of closed loop. And it's important really to note that. Um, Apple is just one of a, a dozens of examples. I think the uh, electronic sector, the high tech sector has a, a really notable track record of um, anticipating and looking at these kinds of issues in recent years. Great, great. Okay. So what has changed? I mean, obviously, corporate citizenship or good corporate citizenship has evolved over time. Um, where did we sort of start with, with the mindset and how has it evolved until now? And how much, I guess, how much more work do we have to do to get companies on board? Sarah, when I wrote my book, Lean and Green, back in, it was published in 2001, it was a a way to put out to the tech industry, look, you can save money, reduce costs, even find new revenue sources by 
reducing environmental impact. And back then it was a fairly new notion. And quite honestly, there was some skepticism and uh, among executives who, uh, you know, maybe uh, weren't quite ready to receive that evidence. But since then, the supply chain has been key in changing executives' minds. You see, because now Haley mentioned Apple. It's an excellent suggestion. Another is Google, also here in Silicon Valley. Uh, it's at 100% renewable energy and very much wants its suppliers to move to 100% renewable as quickly as possible. So you see, when you have customers encouraging their supply chain to take the, the furthest environmental sustainability steps they can, now it turns heads in the executive suite, right? Now it's it's not just a book or consultants who are, are pointing to cost savings and new revenue potential through sustainability programs, but now it's their customers saying, if you'd like to continue to be our supplier, <laughs> uh, you know, or, or just just very kindly say we'd like to support you in becoming 100% renewable or some other eco-design footprint in their products, then the executives are much more likely to say, yep, count us in. What do we do? Let's get going. So I have a question on that, and I'm going to come back to it, but I hope it's okay with you, um, Pamela, because you are offering some free copies of your book to our listeners. Yes, indeed. I th- but for the first 10 listeners who uh, write in and, and make that request, we'll be happy to, to make a copy of my book available to you. That's awesome. So just for our listeners, email us at listener at twobabestalksupplychain.com. And the first 10 people to do that, Pamela will be giving you a free copy of her book. So now going back to what you said, I mean, we've talked about large companies and the impacts that they have on their supply chain because they're asking their suppliers. How realistic is this for SMBs? Um, I'm not sure if maybe Haley or, or Pamela wants to take that one. I think that um, from the standpoint of smaller businesses, which if you're, if you look at it realistically or most businesses, they certainly can make choices and um, make business decisions based on criteria that are uh, environmentally better or more helpful. Um, I think that in some ways, uh, the smaller company may have an even better opportunity in the sense that they might have, say, one place that they're doing business. And if they got solar panels on that building, they would have gone a long distance to making a difference. Whereas, you know, somebody like Google or Cisco or Apple are are dealing with, you know, dozens and dozens of, of com- countries around the world. Uh, I also think that um, smaller organizations are very relationship-oriented, Uh, You know, you talk about if you go to a big company, you don't know who to talk to. With a smaller company, you're very often having good relationships between people, close relationships. And I think it's an opportunity for the leadership of the smaller company to really have a voice with the companies with whom they do work to talk about these kinds of issues. 
uh, early, you know, you asked what had changed. One of the things that's changed in my side of the world in writing about this is that we used to get press releases and we would call them greenwashing press releases because a company would send out a press release saying that they had done something that trying to make it sound very sustainable and very green, but it really didn't have a, a good impact either on the business or on the, uh, on the, uh, environment. It was just a matter of that they wanted to be able to say that they had done something green. And I think now more and more we have organizations who are really um, putting marks in the sand about where they want to be and, and, and going for those um, objectives. And I think small companies and large companies both can create uh, goals and then achieve those goals. And it's all very, very useful. Awesome. Pamela, did you have anything to add to that? Yes. Uh, you know, as CEO of a, a, a small business for 28 years, technology forecasters, uh, I had a, a team of a, about 13 full-time and altogether about 20 folks around the world. You know, we took steps very early on. For example, we went paperless in terms of our our reports. We um, stopped printing out slides to hand out at our events. Uh, we allowed our employees to telecommute a, a good deal of the week. And why did we do it? Well, perhaps because of the nature of our consulting topics. We, you know, we, we knew about the intersection between sustainability and savings of costs. But you know, it was easy for us to do these things. And it was a little bit before most people started doing it. Um, we saved a lot of money instantly. And um, we also saw advantages of being able to be more responsive and in the moment, uh, as opposed to being tied, for example, to paper reports or deliverables. So it's if we don't call it sustainability and we call it thriftiness, if we call it creative ways to reduce costs and waste at the same time, then I think we'd say, why not SMEs? Why not, why not smaller companies? Right. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So before we get into the impacts of, um, of being a good corporate citizen, let's get into maybe the best practices or even the top three things that companies can do to be a better corporate citizen. I mean, you spoke about a few of those things, Pamela, um, with, with changing minor things from an SMB standpoint. Um, if you're a larger organization or a smaller organization, um, why don't you let us know a few of the best practices and maybe some of the top three things maybe even companies can implement right away? Sure. Yeah. In my book, a big aspect of, uh, of sustainability is starting with products because you see 80% of a product's lifetime environmental impacts is decided at the design phase. So let's start as early in a product's design phase as possible. In fact, let's start at product conception thinking of what 
service or product we want? How do we want to better our customers by providing them with something? It's much like what Haley was saying before, questioning everything, even if there needs to be hardware at all. Um, you know, certainly taking a look at minimizing the amount of resources that go into products and making them lighter for shipping and, and less waste, less energy used during life, and also designing them such that the hardware is collected at end of life so that it can be put back into the supply chain in an economically feasible and responsible way. So I think that eco-design is, is uh, a hallmark of best practice sustainability that you're going well beyond what you have to do because of global regulations, but something that's going to give you competitive advantage, reduce cost of goods sold, reduce the amount of transportation throughout the supply chain and, and post-use phase. So that's my number one. Awesome. Did you have anything to add, Haley? I think that um, I totally agree with Pamela that eco-design and design for recyclability and planning from the very beginning to the whole life cycle of the product is critically important. Um, I think that the public companies are more and more doing sustainability reporting. And I, I think that's very important because the companies that do that are putting information out about the kinds of things that can really make a difference and they're um, measuring it. And so uh, we start to have some really good, clear direction around what the business value is because in the end businesses are in business to make money. And so if they can link what they're doing to something really measurable in that area, it's, it's very, very useful. And then I think um, another uh, thing that is a really good best practice it, from the standpoint of an individual person is to understand the power that consumers have and that, uh, I, I will, you know, if, if, if the consumer is saying, well, I buy products that are packaged with, uh, with re recycled materials, or I buy products with an eye toward the one that the battery can be taken out of, or, you know, whatever it is, companies listen to that. And so I think, you know, in terms of best practices, I think on an individual level, it's a best practice to hold the suppliers that we deal with and the organizations we deal with to those kinds of standards. Yeah. And if they're using supplier, supplier scorecards, I mean, it might be something to think about as having that as a part of that, a part of the score when you're looking oh, at your suppliers. Yeah. And seeing, you know, on a scale of, of one to 10, how sustainable are, um, your suppliers and how willing are they to actually take a look at it and maybe implement some of these changes? So those are, those are amazing. So, I mean, once a company sort of adopts maybe some of these best practices or or maybe starts some of the, the top three things that we're talking about today, what are the impacts that we can see um, and that's going to show in business, society, and to the environment? Haley? Um, I think that uh, it's really important... Um, to understand each of those sections kind of separately. I think that there's a lot of opportunity to measure the business difference of, as Pamela mentioned, uh, 
reverse uh, supply chain, getting products back and recycling them can become a way that organizations move money. Uh, they can cut costs, which again makes for better business. I think from a society standpoint, you've got um, individuals who are uh, engaged in this kind of conversation. It does change the way society um uh, looks at these things. So, uh, and I'll, Pamela can speak to the current um, political climate, but in the electronics industry, we've been watching in the last year with some interest, some of the climate change uh, things that decisions that have been made, some of the things about uh, trade agreements and that are impacting our business. And what we realize is that most of the organizations that are involved in uh, good sustainable practices are not backing off of their commitment just because it's no longer mandated by a law. And, and that's really, really important because I, I think it points to a realization on the part of organizations that good environmental stewardship is good business. And then of course, you know, I mentioned Apple and their 585,000 metric tons of carbon emissions. I mean, any time a big organization or a small organization makes any move in that direction, it has the benefit of helping the environment and also educating um, people about the importance of those decisions. That's absolutely right. And I, I would add that individual citizens are getting more savvy about what is, as Haley said earlier, greenwash and what's Bonafide reduction of resource waste uh, are certainly uh, young people in school are, are raising their awareness levels of one use products, the, um, becoming more and more known about the, the islands of plastic waste in our oceans. And so people making purchase decisions are having a sense of what feels like good design that's sleek, that minimizes waste, and what just seems almost annoyingly wasteful. And so I think that's important for companies to understand. Ultimately, what we can do is decouple our ability to have a strong, decouple a strong economy from having to transform raw materials into products until the raw materials are out, <laughs> essentially. Um, there's a wonderful book called Prosperity Without Growth that influenced me. And, um, you know, there's certainly a way that we can have a strong economy. A circular economy is one way of looking at it. Um, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation in England is doing some excellent work in this area. So that it's not all about mining non-renewable materials from this planet of ours with has limited resources and making one-use products or short-lived products. It's it, it, it's apparent when a company takes the time to reduce the amount of new materials it puts in and to do a good job of collecting those materials for reuse. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I love that. So um, 
I just want to find out from Haley real quick, how is EVN supporting this initiative? Um, I'm, I'm guessing you're, you're, you know, writing articles and, and different things like that, but what specifically are you, are you looking for and, and how are you supporting it? So we do a number of things. We have a green section on the site and that covers um, all sorts of things from conflict minerals to renewable energy to shipping, uh, all kinds of things that relate to environmental uh, stuff. We also, Pamela was part of this. We, we did a two-part climate reality web- webinar that looked at, um, through the lens of uh, research, the potential impact of um, the electronics industry on the climate and what those organizations are thinking and doing about it. And, and we were really happy. We had hundreds of people attend the webinar. And then since then it's been downloaded. Um, And it was a chance to hear from really leading companies like flex, uh, a a large um, contract manufacturing company about what they were doing and how they were thinking it. And I think part of what the media does de facto also is holding companies accountable, you know, by we sometimes write about companies who aren't doing such a good job and who are uh, maybe making decisions. And by raising the awareness of that, there can be people speaking up and saying that that's not what they want. You know, so as much as I, I always would prefer a carrot over a stick, I guess sometimes we're the carrot and sometimes we're the stick. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. And I'm glad that you can hold people responsible. You know what I mean? Like nobody's really, a lot of people look for that article that's going to boost their company. Um, Not a lot of people, you know, even spend time thinking about how an article can be written about them or their company to hold them responsible for that. So I, I love that you just put that in there. So I want to take the conversation just to I want to I want to change direction of the conversation because I want to get back to women in supply chain just before we end the show. So what advice would either of you give young women looking to get involved in supply chain today? Maybe we'll start with you, Pamela. Absolutely. Uh, to me, The best thing we can do as women in supply chain is to connect the dots between our purchases, both individually and our corporation's purchases, and global impacts. Once we have that global perspective of the individual decisions we make and our colleagues at our companies make every day that can either lead toward more waste around the earth, more transportation, uh, um, fewer renewables, or to more streamlined transportation of parts and finished goods, fewer materials that have to be mined, um, making sure that the products are lighter and, and more energy efficient. That is going to make us more effective in our supply chain positions. So feel free to step back once a day at least and say, hmm, now the decisions I'm making today and the decisions I'm seeing my management make, my colleagues, my team members make, are we going in the right direction? Are we moving toward prosperity with minimizing waste for the environment, or are we not going about this very cost-effectively at all and actually 
embedding waste into our designs, into our products, life cycles, into our supply chains. Now, that's the advice I would give to women, really anyone in supply chain today. Haley, do you have anything to add for the, add to that? Yeah, I um, one of the best things about my job is I get to talk to a lot of really wonderful women in the supply chain. Uh, and recently we had a blog that was written by a VP of supply chain services. Uh, her name's um, Christy Nydeck. And one of the things that she said, she was talking about sur- how to survive as the only female in the room in the supply chain. And she said that one of the things that um, was really important to her was when she realized that as much as she wanted to be in a helping profession, that the supply chain is a helping profession. And once she made the switch to understand the kind of power that supply chain professionals have in terms of making the world a better place, it all of a sudden all fell together for her and it was um, a real eye opener. And, and so her advice was, you've got to know why you do what you do. And, and I thought that was really, really useful uh, and, and really important to say. I, I think that that's one of the things that, has made supply chain maybe less attractive to women in the past is that there aren't a lot of um, uh, role models sitting in front of you. And it's often seen as a business-centric field, and it does have a real business edge to it. But the reality is that um, there is a real high level of satisfaction that can be had. And, um, in knowing that you can touch all parts of the organization and make real change. I love that. And people in supply chain, when they're listening to this podcast, you are changing the world. Remember that. And you have a big, important role in the world. I love that, love that, love that. So you just mentioned that um, you were speaking to Christy. Um, but how is EBN going to or are you supporting women in supply chain? Do you have maybe a section about it or are you interviewing more? Is it kind of, you know, a mindfulness thing or, 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 or um, are you highlighting them? What, what exactly are you doing? Um. I actively seek out women to interview uh, supply chain professionals because I think one of the most important things is for people to have mentors and role models. And if you can't find those people, and, and I find that um, women as a, as a general rule are sometimes more hesitant to let their voices be heard. You know, they, they're like, oh, I don't want to make a big deal out of what I'm doing, but I say toot your own horn, come out and talk about it. Um, and so we're actively seeking and amplifying women's voices. Um, the, the other thing that we've done, we have certain um, sort of annual things. There's a, a, a supply chain award called 30 Under 30, and it's an award that's given to people who have made real differences in their organizations uh, as a supply chain person at, that are under 30 years old. And I always profile those young professionals and many of them are women uh, because I think it's really important for young people go, you know, looking at what profession they might like to do to have supply chain be something that they know even exists. I I was telling Pamela when we talked earlier today that uh, I just had seen some research from the supply chain management review and the uh, APQC that said that, 
75% of millennials that they talked to started their career in supply chain management. That's a new thing. Um, people like me, I fell into supply chain. I didn't even, supply chain when I started didn't exist as a concept. Um, but now it's something that does exist. And so there's great programs. And so uh, I think uh, getting early involved in coursework or internships to see if the supply chain is a good fit is, is always a good thing. And so uh, we also write about a lot of um, uh, these opportunities, design competitions, uh, supply chain competitions to raise awareness and encourage women to get involved. Awesome. Yeah. And we love Andrea over at APQC, but it's so amazing that, you know, that's where we're going. And I love to hear that because like you, most people that I know fell into supply chain. I mean, it's, it wasn't something that you, that you really did back then. It was, it was sort of, and there wasn't really a word to it. I, I don't know when supply chain came around, but it's it's been a lot more popular more recently anyways, I think. We looked it up and decided, I think it was 1984. Is that right? A Booz Allen person coined the term in 1984. That's right. We had the same question. And as for me, one of the most satisfying things I do in my career is to coach electronics company executives and how to transform every function of their company into profitable, profitable sustainability. I really enjoy coaching women in approaching their executive teams all the way to the top, CEO, even the board members in doing the same thing because Executives do want to find new pockets of cost savings, new arenas for revenue growth, or bonafide competitive advantage in ways they haven't accomplished yet. And sustainability is a way to do that. So coaching women and realizing that they have a strong voice for influencing the executive team and to join that executive team and through supply chain and every other function of the corporation to find the intersection between profitability and sustainability. Awesome. Awesome. And you know, I, I had a, I had a question from a listener and this is, this is how we know that things, things are changing. And it, and it was a, it was a female listener. Um, and she wants to know more about what companies are looking for, um, when they're hiring supply chain professionals. So I am just in the midst of putting that episode together, but it just shows how far we've come, um, for supply chain in general and then for women in supply chain. So that is really, really exciting for uh, for us to see. And, and for me in particular, I love, love hearing about all of that. So uh, we have wound this episode down, but I can tell you this has been amazing. We have heard from two powerful women in supply chain today, not only about their thoughts about being, being a woman in supply chain, but also how to be a good corporate citizen. I'm sure that all of our listeners are going to have some major takeaways from this episode. Remember, 
remember Pamela is offering free copies of her book, Lean and Green, to the first 10 people that email us at listener at twobabestalksupplychain.com. We appreciate that, Pamela. That is amazing. We will have their websites and social media links on our site at twobabestalksupplychain.com forward slash episode dash 67. So follow them and connect with them if you have any questions. I will give you their websites right now, though. Check out EBN at ebnonline.com and Antea Group at anteagroup.com. That's A-N-T-E-A-G-R-O-U-P.com. Thank you so much, ladies, for coming on the show. It was really, really great to have you here. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Haley. Thanks so much. If you liked this episode, check out episode 60 with RVM about reducing your carbon footprint. Or maybe check out episode 63 with Green Shipping Line about how they're revolutionizing domestic shipping. Or if you're curious about simplified sourcing, check out Scout RFP on episode 49. That's it for another show. Remember that secret project I'm working on? Go and sign up at ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z dot com because then you will be one of the first to know about this amazing platform that my team and I are building. Rate us and review so others can find us and learn more about our guests and their products and services. Thank you for listening and remember everybody, ship happens. <laughs>